Welcome to the most enchanted podcast in all the realms. I'm Lynn. I'm Elisa. And I'm Chell. Together, we are the, the Narrators, Narrators 3. And this is Once Upon a Rewatch, where all plot devices come with a price. Welcome to Once Upon a Rewatch, Season 4, Episode 8, Smash the Mirror, Part 2. Well, 8.2, Episode 9. I don't know. It's 8.2. I read a lot about it. And because of which episode this is officially deemed the 100th episode, this is officially episode 8, part 2, not episode 9. Okay. It's controversial, though. Oh, well. (laughs) I agree with episode 8.2 because they aired it back to back. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Well, the air date for this episode was November 16th, 2014. The writers for this episode was David H. Goodman and Jerome Schwartz. May the Schwartz be with you. The director of this part was Ralph Haymaker, and the title card features a snowstorm. Also, fun fact, I learned that this episode is, in fact, named after the Who song that I kept getting stuck in my head. So thank you to the Once Upon a Time wiki. Oh, that's funny. I thought you knew that. And so that's why I thought it kept getting stuck in your head. No, mm-hmm. she just said a thing about the Who. Oh, all right then. We begin an Arendelle of the past with Elsa and Anna covertly returning to the dungeon to place Anna back into her cell. Also, Anna walking past the sleeping guard and going, Oh, he looks so peaceful, was very cute and sweet. <laughs> it was, but then she's like, but Maybe we should think about hiring new guards. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm like, Oh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, sleeping on the job does not bode well. Maybe he just needs more co workers rather than firing him, right? (laughs) So their plan is for Elsa to tell Ingrid that she plans to banish Anna and that Ingrid should see to it personally. When Ingrid goes down to the dungeon, Anna is to surprise Ingrid with the urn, but not in a birthday surprise kind of way. Anna is quick to point out more of a dour surprise. Elsa wonders if she ought to be present as well in case things go topsy-turvy. But Anna does not want her sister to get trapped in the urn by mistake. That's what we call foreshadowing. (laughs) After Elsa locks her sister back into the cell and reluctantly takes her leave, a magical mist emanates from the urn, causing the shackles on the cell floor to snap around Anna's wrist as Ingrid appears. Jesus, not Chekhov's shackles. I know the ominous shot just lingering on them, laying open on the floor a minute before she's trapped again, was like, yep, I'm sure nothing's about to happen with those. Yeah, they got a thing about shackles because like Emma and Elsa also did like a shackle spell on Ingrid and then she just easily whoop slipped out of those, you know? So I don't know. I think it's because of the big shackle scene in the Frozen film is why. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a callback to how Hans has Elsa in the big, really horrible full hand shackles. Just just such a nightmare image. I feel so bad for her in the cell and those those, like hands. Also, who fucking invented those? They're weird like metal mittens. I'm guessing. Like you just had these son of bitches like lying around because they're ornate. They've got like detail work on them. So it's oh, not that's like they dark just... to think about like they had. Oh, no, like, you notice they've got like they've prepared. got engravings and pictures like they were. These things were not something that were just like we got to cook up something fast to like imprison Elsa. They were waiting for her. Is this something that you think came out of actual medieval torture or do you guys think that they just invented that to be like a callback th- to her gloves? <laughs> I want to say that it's invented for this because I think the whole thing is it's so she can't, it's so her hands are fully covered so she can't cast. Right. 
because like with a normal ass prisoner it's like whatever that that doesn't matter i guess it's a little rude they can't scratch their nose but like Mm -hmm. things were specifically like a thing that was invented for this purpose in frozen to be like oh she's got horrible mittens so she can't use her magic to get out of here which you know jokes on you hans you bitch she got out anyway yeah Yeah. ingrid was hoping elsa would believe her lies but prepared a backup plan in case she didn't. Anna declares that Ingrid will never turn the sisters against each other, but the Snow Queen merely smirks and replies that never is an awfully strong word. And I am kind of disappointed that they didn't do like a Peter Pan callback because I did think that line was going to go to that, you know, the never is an awfully long time, but she said- They don't know Peter Pan though. No, well, they don't. I'm talking about the writers. But Ingrid doesn't know Peter Pan. I'm not, I'm not talking about Ingrid. I'm talking about the writers. <laughs> they never met. Oh, my God. I'm going to stop talking to you. You're doing this now deliberately. <laughs> oh, I do everything deliberately. <sighs> what did I do to you? <laughs> Anyways, what's happening in present day storybook? <laughs> in present day storybook, Emma comes to and gets out of her car to look down the road. Ingrid appears and warns Emma that Rumpelstiltskin is only using her to get whatever he wants and she ought to turn back. Emma is resolute, though, believing that if the Snow Queen doesn't want her to head to Mr. Gold, it must be to her benefit, which is some labyrinth, you know, Jennifer Connelly logic. (laughs) Emma soon realizes that Ingrid is merely a projection and has no power over stopping her. She gets back into her incredibly sturdy bug and drives off. The shot of her driving away here was very pretty. It's just like this warm streetlight reflecting in the puddle on the street. It had very good early winter, late fall vibes. And I was like, oh, that shot's really pretty. I had to take note of it. Mm-hmm. Back at the loft, Regina heads down from Henry's bedroom to chat with Mary Margaret, who is making tea. As Henry is refusing to sleep in favor of reading comic books, Regina believes he's doing just fine or at least putting on a brave face. Regina then thanks Mary Margaret for being discreet about her wardrobe malfunction, referring to her situation with Robin Hood as a mess. Mary Margaret doesn't think she ought to be ashamed, but Regina feels it nonetheless. Not exactly a feeling you want with a partner, so yeah, best to ditch him. David checks in on them, which startles Regina as she believes someone ought to be looking for Emma. They update her with Emma's plan, which naturally horrifies Regina. She tells them that her biggest regret is not supporting Henry when he realized he was special and that she tried to convince him that he was crazy, insisting that being normal would make things better. Thankfully, Henry had the good sense not to listen to her. This scene is kind of amazing because Regina is like, do you know what my biggest regret is? And David says something like, I did K, all the murder. And she gives him the most withering look and then fully shifts her entire body. So she's only looking at snow for the entire rest of the scene and basically doesn't acknowledge his existence again. Like she's going, anyway, I'll be talking to the only smart person in the room now. It was incredible. It was definitely a look that said, no shit, Captain Obvious, but I'm trying to be profound here. (laughs) Like I'm making a fucking point. (laughs) She looked very done with him. Yeah, (laughs) she did. It was great. I loved this whole scene so much. And just the fact that her biggest regret being, you know, gaslighting Henry when when he was younger. Like, yeah, she's done awful things and there's a lot to regret. But making the one person she should have been looking after and loving the most and making him, you know, believe he was crazy was awful. 
And her acknowledging how cruel that was really shows her growth. The charming Nolans are convinced and want to take off immediately. Only the locator potion Regina made for them earlier is gone, as is Elsa. Meanwhile, Elsa is following the scarf towards Emma. Yeah, see, David, Elsa was busy trying to save Emma while you were dragging your feet. Which, honestly, I guess it's hard to be too mad at because he was respecting Emma's choice because David drinks his respect women juice. But Emma was also in trouble. And so thank goodness Elsa took the potion and ran. I mean, someone has to be proactive around here. Yeah. Back in the past, Ingrid asserts that Elsa will not rescue Anna, saying she, like Elsa, had their family, but grew up isolated and alone. She demands Anna recall the story of the Trolden Glass, a story about a Norse king who wants his beautiful daughter to see the beauty he sees in her. He has a mirror fashioned for her birthday, but the daughter dies the night before her birthday and the mirror only reflects the ugliness of the king's pain and sorrow. Ingrid finishes the story recalling the tale, the king was so devastated he decides his kingdom should share his pain. After years harnessing dark magic, the king used the mirror to cast a spell on the whole kingdom, making his subjects see only the worst in their loved ones. They ultimately destroyed themselves. Ingrid goes on to say that she spent years gazing into her mirror only to see pain reflected back. Anna is horror-struck as she realizes her aunt intends to cast the spell on Arendelle. But Ingrid corrects her. She only needs to cast the spell of Shattered Sight upon Anna. Gosh, I just really want to watch the fairy tale theater Snow Queen so bad now. I think we should have a fireside fairy tale episode about the Snow Queen this winter. That would be a good one. Yeah. This story is sort of fucked up because I'm like, it only reflects the ugliness of the king's pain and sorrow. Like, what else is he supposed to be feeling, right? Like, his daughter died. He's like, oh, my daughter who I love and I see all this great beauty within. You know, I want you to see what I see when I look at you, you know? And it's like his intentions were completely pure. Mourning someone is not ugly. Pain and sorrow is not ugly just kind of like hit a nerve with me, like in a, you know, not good way, like not in a, ooh, feels way, like more in a, that's fucked up, you know, kind of way. I don't know. Did you guys feel that at all? I didn't because I didn't think about it because I was tired. But now that you mention it, yeah, it is kind of fucked up. It's a fucked up way to look at grief. But I think that was the point. He I mean, that's kind of the point of this his... season, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, of not processing your grief healthily. Yeah, like the larger point being made this season with this arc is what happens when you don't process grief or you process it in like a destructive fashion. Because yeah, when you stop and think about this season, it actually has a lot to do with grief. There's Emma grieving her lost childhood and Mary Margaret dealing with this very intense motherhood trauma of everything that she did go through with Emma and losing her so soon and missing her entire childhood and then you know neil almost being stolen from her and then there's the grief of robin with his dead wife coming back and having found a new love and what to do there and of course the rumple still skin still mourning balefire and gerda going through this intense grief and shock after helga's death and so like there's all these different interesting forms of grief in display this season 
Right. I understand the ultimate point of like this story. Like the king was devastated. He decides like his kingdom should share his pain. Right. Like we're getting to the point. But it's like the mirror only reflects the ugliness of the king's pain and sorrow. And I was just like, what? No, it is fucked up because no, you're right. Because it's like grief is not an inherently ugly thing. It's normal no. to be sad. It's natural. It's weirder if you're not sad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing ugly about it. Grieving is a natural human process. Right. And also like Ingrid reacted to the Duke of Weaselton or whatever. And it accidentally hit Helga because he used her as a shield. And it killed Helga. And then Gerda came upon the scene and immediately took action against Ingrid. Like, these are all, like, really fast before we think about things, reactions and decision makings. And that's kind of, like, where I thought, like, this season was really mostly kind of focusing is, like, the danger of reaction, of emotional reactions before processing something. To quote Fixer Upper again, people make bad choices if they're mad or scared or stressed. That's like one of the main themes of this arc. Like this story is this king had all this time to harness all this dark magic. And I'm just like, so he had time to think about his actions. Yeah, Ingrid. I mean, that's, yeah, that's like Ingrid and all that time she spent trapped in the urn and dwelling on everything and it all just getting twisted up inside her because she was not a twisted person at all. Right. I think the danger of isolation and not being able to even process your grief with your loved ones is also like inherently dangerous too. Also, Ingrid, Elsa was in that jar way longer than you and she didn't turn into a colossal bitch. So what's your problem? <laughs> yeah, Just Elsa saying. Elsa was in it for 30 years. Yeah, like you were in there for like a few, but she was in there a really fucking long time and she came out of it and is still a kind person. So, I mean, wouldn't Ingrid be like about what, like 25 years? Because, I mean, Elsa was a grown woman and this was before Gerda had kids. Yeah. Elsa would still win. Yeah. <laughs> In present-day Storybrooke, Emma arrives at the mansion, which is creepily lit up for allegedly being abandoned. Her cell phone remains in her car as she goes inside the spooky house. Later, Regina Henry and the Charming Nolans are tracking Emma's route, inspecting the area of the crash. Mary Margaret and Regina continue on foot to follow Emma's progress, while Henry and David remain behind? Question mark? Well, Henry and David eventually scurry ahead of the ladies. It's very Uh. funny, actually. You see them like go around them. Oh. Like, and Dave is just kind of like shuffling Henry around them to go ahead. It's very funny. Oh, okay. My head must have been bent writing notes and I didn't catch yeah. that. Well, the ladies are having their serious conversations. Dave is like, come on, let's give this space. I, I just, go like, ahead. I, I was just like, but Emma got back into her car and drove off. Even Mary Margaret said so. Like, why are they on foot? How, how can one tell? The footsteps are fresh on pavement. Well, Snow White has magical tracking abilities from years hunting in the Enchanted Forest, and I trust literally anything she says with my life. This That's is true. fair. This is very fair. Well, it doesn't matter anyway, because it's all a device to get Regina and Mary Margaret alone anyway, so they can continue their adult girl talk from earlier. As Snow asks after Robin Hood, Regina brushes off the subject, saying they're not going to work out. Such is her lot in life as the author has deemed her a villain unable to change and be worthy of happiness. Mary Margaret naturally refuses to believe this, saying the universe helps out when you put good into it. She refuses to believe that happiness is impossible for Regina to achieve. The formerly evil queen philosophically asks that if one does good hoping to be redeemed, is that good at all? 
Mary Margaret is insistent, saying she is not all good, just as Regina is not all evil. Regina does not believe they have free will. Their fates are preordained. Snow believes that Regina just needs to stay the course and good things will come. Snow is too good for this place. She is. And I loved this exchange so much. I'm just so glad season four continues the fascinating friendship that Regina and Snow had formed in season three. Their scenes are always so good because these women have such a deep history and have seen each other in their lowest moments. But they also have faith in the goodness that lives in the other. This and that earlier scene together were some of my favorites this season. They have a very fun rapport. Also, I'm actually really pleasantly surprised that Once Upon a Time went as deep as they did with this exchange. Because, I mean, that's a philosophical question that people ask in real life. You know, like, if you do good, hoping that goodness happens, is that actually good? Isn't that selfish? You know? It's a whole plot point on The Good Place. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole plot point on The Good Place. Gosh darn, The Good Place is a good show. And they really go into very similar discussions to this. So if you like this part of Once Upon a Time, like I would definitely recommend checking out The Good Place. And then like Regina believing that their fates are preordained and Snow's like, no, we totally have free will. Just, you know, stay the course and, you know, good things will come. These are real philosophical questions that we grapple with as humans. So I gotta hand it to Once Upon a Time. That was really clever and smart. And I'm glad that they didn't give us an answer. I'm happy that they didn't wrap it up really quickly. So it's something that you still have to chew on for a bit. Yeah. Elsewhere, at the library, Will remarks upon the illustration of Regina in the storybook, saying he gets being into the evil queen type. Man, I miss Anastasia. The Red Queen was so good, and I wish we'd had a chance to see her on Once Upon a Time proper. Because the Kitsowitz promised it at one point. They promised it, and apparently it never happens. So, boo. Will also is so delighted over the ship book he picked up being a pop-up book, and I was very charmed by that moment. Oh, it was so cute. He, was so so cute. he had such like, a, oh, look at that. I didn't know that could happen. Uh -huh. Yeah. Robin has the quickest of breezes around a single shelf before he is throwing in the towel when he spies a new page of the storybook tucked into his rucksack. He calls Regina and demands she returns to town immediately, but doesn't fucking tell her why. I get that he was really excited to bring Regina hope with what he found, but there is very important things going on right now. And Robin, this could have waited until she got home from this magical emergency. At the mansion, Gold sets up the sorcerer's hat trap as Emma wanders around looking for him. I mentioned lately how much I hate the dumb magical hat plot. <laughs> Emma hears some nonsense going on in the ballroom where the hat is beginning its vortex hoedown. Gold appears behind Emma, saying he is keeping his distance because her powers are wacky. He tells her all she needs to do to get rid of her magic is to go into the ballroom where he has already cast the spell. Emma hesitates, confessing that Ingrid warned her that Gold was trying to hurt her. He doesn't blame her and says that magic is always a risk, but that this is all very much her choice. Does this dick just wake up every morning and go, do 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 can't wait to see what woman I'm going to gaslight today? <laughs> Emma suddenly asks him what he would do, and Gold answers that as a man who makes selfish, wrong decisions, he would not step into that room for anything in the world. She reminds him of Neil, sacrificing himself, 
and marrying Belle, to which he counters that each time he meticulously undid all of the good he had achieved. And I gotta say, man, believe people when they tell you who they really are. Because he's telling you, I am a selfish man who goes for power. Yeah. Neil is still gone. The town is still in danger. And Belle knows the kind of man he is, for better or for worse. He is the kind of man who will always choose power. Wow, you almost had a moment of clarity there, dude. You know, before you went right back to being immediately a piece of shit. <laughs> and at this point, I'm just like, do you even like Belle? <laughs> like, it doesn't seem like it. Like, it really doesn't. Like, yes, I shipped them in the concept of them. But like, here now in season four, it's just, it's hard. Like, it's hard, you know? Well, never, never even mind him being a dick to her. It's just more like he doesn't even seem to like go out of his way for her anymore, like the way he did in like season two. Isn't put... this the season where most Rumbell shippers like jumped ship though? Oh yeah, like most of them just absolutely left by season three. Like yeah, at so the I end think of you're not three. alone on that because I oh think I am that's, not. I think that's where most people who that was their big ship threw up their hands and went, "I'm over it." Yep. And they left. They absolutely like marched away. They were like, this is so fucking stupid. And yeah. I, I don't blame them. It's like he put her on a weird pedestal that even though she's his wife now, he's now like kept her like completely separated from his life. Yeah. And like, I don't want to ever come off as ever victim blamey, but I do kind of understand him when he's like, for better or for worse, Bells knows who I am. I think that's fucking true. Like, I think Belle absolutely knows that he is not good. And she's being willfully ignorant because she wants him to be good. She wants him so bad to just be this person that he claims that he is trying to be, but he's not. Emma reminds him that Belle believes he can change, an attribute for which Gold loves his wife as he fears she is wrong. Emma doesn't need to change, though, because she always does the right thing. Emma looks over her shoulder and contemplates the ballroom. She turns back to him once more, thanking him before he departs. This scene is so good, but also mm -hmm. so infuriating because there is so much being said here. And Robert and Jennifer are such strong actors that just make this whole scene shine. Emma's thank you at the end. I was so moved by her and this conversation and so mad at Gold for playing her but also so fascinated about how he was just scratching the line of being honest about everything in the things that he said about his character. Just what a great job by these two actors. It really made you feel the weight of the situation and not focus on the absurdity of the magic hat plot. I completely agree. I watched this scene a couple times. It was definitely my favorite scene because of the gravity that these actors bring to this scene. This is both of them at their most earnest with each other. You know, mm -hmm. like, there's no barrier, really. And again, it just pisses me off <laughs> even more that this is the direction that the writers had Gold go in. Because you see such potential between these two as like, this kind of like dark mentor who could be trying to do so much better. And this earnest person who has learned to trust him. This is so fucking infuriating for me. He's just awful. And I hate this because it makes a scene like this with these two brilliant actors just like lose a lot of gravitas by knowing like what's going on and then what's to come in the rest of the episode. 
it's because this scene could have played exactly the same way with Rumpelstiltskin just genuinely about to do a spell to take her magic away like she absolutely asked. absolutely that you you know what you are you hit the nail on the head elisa like we could have still had this amazing scene verbatim and there's still been the stakes of her giving up her savior powers. And does she? Yeah. And it's still an interesting And plot. I think it would have had a lot more emotional weight had he been on her side this whole season. And had he been making that effort this whole season. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean? Like kind of putting in the work that Regina did last season. I think it would have been so much more interesting if he was learning how to husband going through the stages of grief, because, you know, here we are talking about grief and this reflection of Ingrid and this fairy tale king, like that would have been another perfect allegory for gold and his grief over Neil. And I think that would have been an insanely powerful season, much better than this, as far as like his storyline goes. Like, don't get me wrong. The, the season is really good. It's just like his storyline and part of it are terrible. Yeah. Gold storyline could have been so much stronger, so much, much stronger, better. <laughs> much better. I'm Chell, and I've been leaving my window open since I was 11 years old in the hopes I would be given the dark gift. You can find me blasting the bodacious soundtrack to The Lost Boys and laughing at memes taking a bite out of the Vampire Chronicles. I'm Tori, and I've been hoping to run into a vampire since I was 12. But like, one I can befriend, not one who will kill me. You can find me reading almost any book with a vampire in it and being angry about the final seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Vampires have ruined our lives. That's why we're making a podcast about it. Our podcast discusses vampire books, movies, TV shows, tropes, folklore, and more. If it's about the fanged undead, we want to talk about it. So tune in to Vampires Ruin My Life, available wherever you find podcasts. We see outside the mansion where Killian has come upon the manor, lights blazing from within. Hook runs into gold and threatens him before he is yeeted back with a wave of gold's hand. A garden hose coils itself around Killian's wrist, keeping him tightly bound to the iron gate. The sad thing is, it really isn't. Like, Colin is giving it 900% effort here, but like, it's so loose on his arms. He would just need to like, wiggle a little to get out of this situation. It's really quite pathetic. <laughs> Gold flashes Hook Emma's cell phone, saying Emma never got his message. Rumpelstiltskin tells Hook not to worry, that he will eventually get over Emma the way he eventually got over Mila. Dude, Rumpel, don't talk about Mila. I know she was your wife first, but you murdered her, so you don't get to use her as a taunt. Killian reminds Gold that Emma is the mother of his grandson. Finally, Jesus Christ, somebody did. <laughs> but Gold remains merciless, claiming that he needs Emma. Meanwhile, Elsa has arrived at the mansion to rescue Emma. Thank God. In the past, a cold and sarcastic Anna has returned upstairs to meet up with Elsa in the dining hall. Elsa instantly remarks on her younger sister's icy demeanor. Anna notices the feast, 
which Elsa says she wanted to surprise her with something special. Anna begins to complain and rant about how this is just like Elsa, covering up for the fact that Anna was ignored and left to wander the palace alone like a ghost. Anna goes on to say that the worst part is Anna believed it was all her fault, that she did something wrong. Elsa is bewildered at her sister's flipped personality, but before she can properly get a grasp on what is going on, Anna tears off her snowflake necklace and chucks it into the fireplace. Ingrid reveals herself, admitting she cast the spell, but that it is only revealing the truth of Anna's deepest, darkest feelings. Ingrid goads Elsa, trying to get her to freeze Anna, but Elsa remains strong and resolute, wrapping her arms gently, passively around herself as Anna opens the urn. As she is sucked into the urn, Elsa promises that she loves Anna no matter what. After Elsa has disappeared, Anna comes to and realizes what she has done. Babe, just take the lid off. Yeah, I'm not sure what the issue is here exactly. I was really confused because both Anna and Ingrid are just like, oh God, oh God. And I'm like, just take take the lid off. Yeah. At least in Anna's case, she's in shock. And when you are in shock, common sense often eludes you. Okay, but how about Ingrid, who was literally just in there and knows that that's how it works? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm only making excuses for Anna. <laughs> that's fair. Doesn't matter anyway, because Ingrid snatches the urn from Anna and makes to attack her niece before Kristoff shows up. Ingrid decides it's time to embrace being the monster people claimed her to be. Ma'am, you started yourself on that path a while ago already. Yeah, I believe the exact note I wrote down was, oh girl, we passed that a while ago. <laughs> yeah. The Snow Queen freezes the entire palace, Anna, Kristoff, and all of Arendelle with them. Ingrid promises to the urn that she will one day accept who she is and they will find the third Aryan sister no matter how long it takes. <sighs> in present day Storybrooke, Elsa rushes in to stop Emma, who tries to push her away. Elsa recounts that Emma didn't give up on her and she isn't going to give up on Emma. No guess. Emma says that her version of Anna's love, but with Henry, didn't work and this is her only choice. Elsa confesses she was wrong and it wasn't just Anna's love which saved her, but the love she has within herself for herself. Elsa holds out her hand for Emma to take, telling her to stop being afraid and take a risk on herself. The power of friendship and self-love compels because a magic blast goes through the house, calming the electrical freakout going on. Man, thank God they finally gave us some decent Elsa content. This is the Elsa I've wanted all season. Yeah, in my notes for this episode, I wrote, finally, they gave Elsa some decent fucking food. Because she's amazing in this two-parter. I love the speech they wrote for her here. This is the Elsa she would have been after the plot of Frozen. And I'm so proud of her. This scene between her and Emma was spellbinding. This was Georgina's best work as Elsa on the show, for sure. Agreed. Outside, Gold is naturally ticked off, which pleases Killian immensely. Gold admits that while this throws a wrench in his plan, as he needs to chuck in an immense amount of power into the hat to feed the Void Beast, he also needs the secret ingredient, which just so happens to be the heart of someone who knew him before he was the Dark One. As everyone else who fits that description is dead, Gold says, as luck would have it, dearie, you're my oldest friend. Without further ceremony, Gold yanks out Killian's heart. Before he kills Captain Hook, Gold intends to use him as a puppet to lure in another source of great power. Oh, cool. A last-minute contrived plot twist. 
Famicle, this is why we can't have nice things. In the past, Rumpelstiltskin visits Arendelle to congratulate Ingrid and snatch Anna's necklace for his troubles. Oh, and the urn, which disappears from Ingrid's arms. She demands Elsa's return, but Rumpelstiltskin warns the Snow Queen to back off. He wants the sorcerer's hat for the urn and tells Ingrid to call him once she has found the object. Flash forward to the present, Killian reunites with Emma and is a little too intense, which gives her pause momentarily. I thought the part here where Hook is just staring at her like she's the most amazing thing in the world. And then he's like, I'm a fan about everything about you, Emma. I thought that was a sweet moment. It really reminded me of the scene in Neverland where David thinks he's basically a dead man walking. And he just gives Snow like this most romantic kiss. And this feels very much like the Killian Emma version of that Snow and Charming scene. So I thought it was nice, even though I hate he's being puppeted by a Rumpelstiltskin plot looming over this. This was feel like a very genuine Killian Emma moment, and it was very nice. Emma and Elsa go on outside to await the arrival of the rest of Emma's family, while Killian hangs back to take hold of the hat box. Meanwhile, Regina arrives at the library to see the clue Robin found in his rucksack. In it are pages of Regina and Robin in the past, showing an alternate route had she gone into the pub to meet him all those years ago. The pages align with the same page as Regina leaving the pub. Robin says this proves that fate can go many different ways, and there is a bright future for Regina around every turn, even if she has missed out on others before it. This scene wants so much to be cute, but it isn't. Like, Regina literally calls him out for stealing the book. And he's just like, oh, haha, you knew I was a thief when you met me. And like, yeah, she did. That doesn't make it cute. You're still a jerk. (laughs) My fun fact for this episode is that the page being number 23 was a reference to the fifth lost number. So another lost reference in here. While I'm really not into that Lock Queen ship during this rewatch, I did like the magic of this scene for Regina. The concept that something out there sent her this page as a message of hope that she is changing and the narrative she is bound to can change too. I liked that element of this moment. In her ice cave, Ingrid is released from the confines of the magic circle. She goes over to her box containing the three ribbons and waves a hand, making them disappear. One of them appears on her wrist, which she lovingly nuzzles. We return to the past where the barefooted Snow Queen explores the cave she was released in and unearths the magic hat box. Just as she is about to call forth Rumpelstiltskin, the apprentice appears to stop her. He reminds her of the deal she made with the sorcerer to find a third magical sister and that it may take a while, but a plan for Ingrid is still in the works. The catch is that this third sister, who we know as Emma, has yet to be born. However, the sorcerer guarantees that Ingrid will one day meet her and be reunited with Elsa. The apprentice conjures a door to another land where Ingrid's happy ending awaits. Once she hands over the box, the prophecy scroll is given to her and the door opens. Ingrid steps through the door and where does she find herself but Boston, 1982. In present day Storybrooke, Emma reunites with her parents and Henry, all relieved to find Emma just as special as the day she was born. Emma puts on a little fireworks show for their benefit, proving she is once again in control of her magic. Emma showing off a little and putting on the fireworks show for her family was very, very sweet. 
Henry spies the yellow ribbon on his mother's wrist and Elsa's. Their tum-tums begin to hurt as a sensation of funneling overtakes them, making the ribbons glow. This scene just makes me think of being at a convention and trying to get the ugly attendant's wristband off so you can get one decent picture of your costume that doesn't have a neon-colored piece of plastic on your arm, which is hecking annoying. Just give out <laughs> badges, Ingrid. No one wants to have to deal with showering with that thing on all weekend. It gets slimy and unpleasant. <laughs> Fun fact, being able to shimmy out of every single plastic hospital bracelet I have ever been given is my party trick. I've been an Elsa with a horrible wristband on before. <laughs> Literally, sack anime. <laughs> Emma does not know what this is precisely, but she has a pretty solid idea where it came from. Meanwhile, at the ice cave, Gold comes to sulk and confront the Snow Queen over Emma's change of heart. Ingrid gloats of her success as the ribbons are finally charged up enough to be put to use, since Emma has finally embraced her powers. Now Ingrid's mirror is complete, and she is able to cast her spell over Storybrooke. They have a thread off before Ingrid turns to her mirror and casts the spell of Shattered Sight. I think just calling it a thread off really oversimplifies how hot Ingrid was when she was telling Rumpelstiltskin how she was going to, like, eviscerate him. Damn, Elizabeth Mitchell. Oh my gosh, yes. When she was like, I'm going to decorate with your bones or something like that. It was some peak evil hotness. <laughs> it was so hot. <laughs> and with the threat of bodily harm and using his bones as decoration for her Baba Yaga hut of the future. End credits. And to all a good night. <laughs> <laughs> Overall, I really liked this episode. Was it perfect? No. But it was really engaging to watch, and some of the better writing this season. Everyone really knocked it out of the park acting-wise. They sold the story about a magic-devouring hat, and props to them. Some of my favorite moments were both scenes between Regina and Snow, the mansion scene between Emma and Gold, and then the climax scene in the mansion between Elsa and Emma. Overall, I think Smash the Mirror Parts 1 and 2 both work really well together and together made probably my favorite episode of this season so far. There were just so many strong character moments here and just a lot to like. I really enjoyed this episode and I remain very curious where it's all going to go. If an episode leaves me eager for more, I, I consider that a win and... There have been definitely more wins than losses in this season so far. And I think you're right. Like this is probably the strongest so far. I also really love the triumph that Emma and Elsa both have at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. Like really embracing their powers and such and their friendship hopefully turned romance. But I really, really like this episode. There were just a lot of really strong scenes. And like I said, I can pretend that the magic hat is just a stupid looking doorway into a void. So there you go. Babe, did you have any final thoughts on the episode? No thoughts had empty. <laughs> <laughs> I stayed That's awake fair. during it. It was an accomplishment. No thoughts, <laughs> only sewing. Pretty much. That is where I'm at. I'm like, Nope, my whole thoughts were like, okay, how much more time do I have in the evening that I can work on costumes? When does this wrap up? How many hours do I have? <laughs> do you want to talk about costumes? Sure. Yeah, let's talk about costumes. Fun fact, the scarf Elsa is following is a real one Emma wore in four different episodes. Those episodes were Tiny, Manhattan, The Queen is Dead, and The Miller's Daughter. 
Other than that, I really liked the second dress Ingrid wore in these flashbacks. The one during her whole, like, I'm just going to freeze the whole kingdom scene. It's one of my favorite of hers so far. It was very Snow Queen power suit. I do want to know where she got shiny white spandex leggings to wear with it, though. Though I think probably the same place that Ariel got all her metallic performance lycra. Leg Avenue? They got them in the Enchanted Forest? I guess so. No hell. Maybe Oakenstock. Lake <laughs> <Oaken. laughs> Avenue. Yoo-hoo! <laughs> uh, this is the point where we usually talk about who's that guest star, but I'm going to save the rest for another episode. So there's none, none right now. All right. Now it's time to take a trip down Once Upon a Timeline. So the flashbacks in this episode are taking place shortly after those seen in Season 4, Episode 8, Smash the Mirror, Part 1. And we can assume these scenes are still taking place around the same time as those seen in Season 1, Episode 12, Skin Deep, where Belle first volunteers to work from Stillskin. And this is now the most recent flashback we have seen in Arendelle so far. And the final flashback scene shows Ingrid arrive in the Land Without Magic, arriving the year before the yet-to-be-born Emma would arrive. Time for some rancid raves. We adopted a new baby. Yeah. His name is Luke Cornelius Skywalker, and he's the tiniest little orange tabby boy with a little bit of a wonky foot, and he wants nothing but love and cuddles, and I adore him. Where's Cornelius from? Hello, Dolly. Oh, how cute. Cornelius Hackle. That's a, uh, uh, what's his face? Man of Michael the Crawford. Guy. Yeah, Michael yeah, Crawford. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Luke is so sweet and small, and I love him so much. He's our little pumpkin spice. A little while ago, we tried to see Beauty and Beast in theaters, <laughs> but the projector exploded. Oh my so they God. refunded yep. us and gave us free <laughs> tickets to see any movie. And we picked the new Ninja Turtle movie, and it was a delight. The animation was slick and interesting. The characters had so much personality in life. And overall, it was hilarious and heartfelt. I'm not that big on car chase scenes in general, but this movie has my now absolute favorite car chase scene, hands down. It was just so much fun. I have heard that about the Ninja Turtle movie. Like, everyone that I have talked to whose opinion I care about has nothing but glowing reviews for it. It's it so is the best car chase heartfelt. scene in a movie. I will concur on that. <laughs> All right. I laughed so hard. So while I was visiting family in Denver, I, I had the opportunity to take my niece to Meow Wolf Convergence Station, an immersive art exhibit. I'm just going to like, I, I can't do this place justice to describe it. So I'm just going to like give our listeners the official copy for the pitch. Commute via the Quantum Department of Transportation to the Convergence a bustling city created by a rare cosmic event that joined four alien worlds. When you're not trading memories as a form of currency, you and your fellow interdimensional travelers can venture out into four floors of serality, featuring Meow Wolf's most epic immersive art to date. If you've ever wanted to wax heroic at the crossroads of real-life sci-fi and utopia, this is the space-time for you. It's really super fun. It's really awe-inspiring. I don't want to give anything away as far as visuals go. It's just best to go in with an open mind. I will say this, though. I sat in a mech, and that was very cool. All right. So I think it's time for some quick schedule updates. 
just to keep you all on the loop with the release plan for the rest of the season. We will be taking an extra week between this episode and episode nine. And then once we finish the Frozen arc, the show naturally takes a mid-season break, as will we. Once Upon a Rewatch will return in the new year. With the Villainous Trio arc. What's the official name for it? It's like the villain team up, the Villainous Trio. I don't know. But we'll be back for 4B. We should have a few episodes of Fireside Fairy Tales, though, to keep you company throughout the winter. So please look forward to that. And thank you so much for listening, as always. Next time on Once Upon a Rewatch. As the spell of Shattered Sight approaches Storybrooke, Mary Margaret and David rally the residents to prepare for the curse. Again. With Hook as his unwilling servant, Gold sets about an exit strategy of his own, while Elsa and Emma continue the hunt for Anna. Thank you for tuning in to Once Upon a Rewatch. The moral of this episode is... If you meet a dead end in your library search, don't worry. Fate will shove an answer in your backpack to tell you there is no fate. Just don't fucking worry. Visit us at Spotify for podcasters to answer episodic questions, send us voice messages, or to find out other ways you can help support the podcast. You can find our page at podcasters.spotify.com slash pod slash show slash once upon a rewatch if you enjoy once upon a rewatch please leave us a review on apple Podcasts or on your platform of choice talk fairy tales with us on instagram at once upon rewatch on tumblr at once upon a rewatch.tumblr.com the artwork for a podcast was by lychee ruru we want to say a very special thank you to the master of free music kevin mcleod our intro music is frost waltz and our outro music is Fairy Tale Waltz. This podcast uses material from episode-specific pages on the Once Upon a Time wiki at Fandom and is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike license. And remember, all plot devices come with a price. If you meet a dead end in your library shirt, oh, oh my library God. shirt, library shirt, your oh, did say reading shirt. is cool. It says <laughs> reading is cool and has a cat with glasses on it. Uh-huh. <laughs> It says, this is the way, and it's Grogu holding a book. <laughs> I actually did see that poster in, a, in my local library, and I was like, I'm going to steal that. <laughs> I, had a, I had a reading as cool shirt with a cat with glasses on it. Aw, that's so cute. <laughs>